Welcome to the Life Chapters podcast, Real Women, Real Stories. Hi, I'm Stacey, and I am super passionate about showing everyday women like you that they really do have a story to share. In my opinion, everyone deserves to be heard. And on this podcast, you will get to meet some pretty fabulous women who have amazing stories to tell. Some of the stories you hear might trigger you, but they're all spoken by the women who lived them. Some of them will make you smile, some of them might make you cry. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Life Chapters podcast. Today I have the fabulous Naomi with me and she is going to tell you some of her story. Naomi, lovely to have you. Um, Please tell my listeners where you are in the country and what it is you want to tell us today. So firstly, thank you so much for having me. Can't forget my manners. Um, So I'm in Essex. Um, I've been here for about 12 years, uh, originally from Hampshire. Um, And I've got two daughters uh, and a husband who I live with. And really, I'm just really pleased to have the opportunity to, to talk about some of the challenging things that have happened in my life, but hopefully some of the the positive things that I've got out of those challenges. I guess my story really starts with my mum's story. I guess I'm the sequel. So my mum, I'll sort of say straight away, I lost my mum in 2014. Uh, She died from ovarian cancer, which she had uh, for five years. But it started a long time before that in the late 80s, uh, when I was four or five. My mum had a single mastectomy, they found uh, pre-cells, so precancerous cells, um, which, you know, if they had left untreated, would have developed probably into, into cancer, into breast cancer. So they said to her, we can, we can cure you. You know, if we can operate and, and perform the single mastectomy, we can cure you. And, and to hear those words from my mum was hugely powerful. And, and she always said to me afterwards, it wasn't a difficult decision. You know, I knew that if I could have this surgery they could cure me um, and any other option would have left, you know, a risk. Um, And so at the age of 41, she made a very big decision to have that single mastectomy with with two young children. But for her, it was about the peace of mind that 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 gave her. And there was never any recurrence of breast cancer in my mum. She would have annual mammograms after that point. Um, But growing up with that, I was never aware or never really impacted by that cancer risk I don't think as a young child I fully understood and I think my parents were really trying to protect me and make sure that I didn't fully understand and have that burden on my shoulders at such a young age so I really think my parents did a great job of protecting me and my brother um, from worrying and I think we were then able to take them for granted you know particularly my mum I never as a young person worried about my mum not being around And that's the sign that she was doing everything right, you know, and I hope that I can be like that as a mum as well. Um, And but but conversely, I was never aware of what the weight of that would have been on her shoulders. You know, every year having that mammogram, thinking that that cancer could come back or could could develop. I don't think until now, until after she's gone, I don't think I fully appreciate what that would have been like for her. And I never really talked to her about it. And I have some regrets about that, obviously. But again, like I said, I don't think she wanted me to worry. So she did her job. Um, But as it was the late 80s when she had that, the the link between breast cancer and ovarian cancer 
uh, wasn't as widespread. The knowledge wasn't as widespread at that time. And so no further screening for any other kinds of risk uh, was, was done. Um, and that meant that in 2008, late 2008, my mum started to develop the symptoms of ovarian cancer, bloating, feeling full very quickly, needing to go to the toilet more often, you know, discomfort in that area, changes in your bowel habits, um, difficulty eating, all of those things she started to experience. Um, and it was misdiagnosed a couple of times as IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome, which is very common with ovarian cancer, even now, you know, years later from when my mum had it, and how many years it's been around, you know, it still gets misdiagnosed, unfortunately. My mum persisted uh, to, to seek medical advice and, and was then tested. So she had an ultrasound scan and, and a blood test. And that, that concluded that she did have ovarian cancer in the beginning of 2009. But because ovarian cancer has these symptoms that can be confused or in the early stages, no symptoms, it had been developing for quite some time and had spread outside of the ovaries so they could you know operate on her to remove a good amount of the cancer but they couldn't get rid of all of it um so she had to have chemo and we knew that there was a good chance it would it would come back and after a couple of years it did and again more treatment but what we knew was that whilst you could manage ovarian cancer like a chronic illness you know with with treatment your options would potentially run out, um, particularly if it had spread. And so my mum got five years um, where the gaps between the treatment was were shrinking and shrinking. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we did run out of options uh, at the beginning of 2014. And, and very sadly, I lost my mum. And, you know, I, I, it, it's very hard to articulate the impact that that has had on me uh, it's still having an impact on me and will always have an impact on me I, I would do anything in the world to undo it to change it to make it not true but I can't I hear you I hear you and it does it the the the, the loss of a loved one hits you so hard it's like a truck coming through your life and battering down the doors you said you've got two daughters did your mum get to meet your daughters no, so my, my first daughter was born in 2016, two years, almost to the day after my mum died. In fact, when I first fell pregnant, the predicted due date was the date of my mum's death. And I'm not, you know, a spiritual person, but I just felt that was, you know, that my mum was, you know, my mum had a hand in that. She liked punctuality. She liked efficiency, you know. I felt like that had her written all over it. Um, to some people, that could have been... Um, a bad omen or it could have been something negative but you drew that positive comparison that your child was to be born near or on the day that your mum left this earth yeah and I, 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 that strikes me as hugely positive well I just thought again that's that's my mum wanting us not to find that time so difficult you know if, if she if something positive could happen around that time then that would put a smile on our face and and that's exactly what it did. My daughter arrived in the end um, a few days before that anniversary, but, you know, literally four days before. So it was still a really bittersweet, you know, time. But um, and my second daughter only arrived uh, the middle of last year. So my mum didn't meet them, but, you know, she is present in our lives. We talk about her all the time. Um, we talk about what she would like, what she, you know, didn't like, what what fun things she'd do with particularly my oldest daughter, who can really understand what's happened. 
and grandma is a part of our lives and and that's wonderful I, I don't feel like I'm projecting my grief or any sadness onto my children but I'm just making sure they understand the wonderful person that was in my life that is in my blood in their blood your mum has left a legacy yeah behind and left a legacy of the care and the the, the consideration the protection she gave to you as you were growing up and she's now watching over you and your children as you move forward absolutely and and when my second daughter arrived I had to spend a bit of time in hospital just immediately afterwards and I, on my own because of visiting hours and covid etc I spent the day on my own with my daughter and I was lying there uh, on the bed uh, Lucy was asleep next to me and I, I had my eyes shut and I just remember feeling two hands touching my ankles, you know, touching my feet, holding them, you know, just uh, embracing them almost. And without even a hesitation, I thought that's my mum. And I, obviously I opened my eyes, the room was empty, but I knew I'd felt that pressure. I knew I'd felt my mum. And I think when you lose someone, you are always looking for signs and always looking for something to say that they are watching you. They do know what's going on. They have seen it all. They are proud. And you can probably torture yourself doing that. And I don't consciously ever think about it or look for it, but it just happened. And I knew I will cherish that forever that I felt that. I I had a very similar experience around about three months after Chris died. I was walking through Glasgow and stood across the road was Chris or somebody who looked exactly like him. And he just looked over and nodded his head at me. And it was, it was a, it was a a strange experience, but I knew it was his way of saying, I'm still with you. I'm there. I'm watching. I'm part of your life. I may not be walking this earth anymore, but I'm still part of your life. So I can totally relate to that experience. But your story goes on from here because you have something else that's now sort of pulling your attention. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so um, I mentioned around the the connection between breast and ovarian cancer. And before my mum died, she was tested to see if she carried the altered BRCA2 or BRCA1 gene. And and we all have BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, um, but if there's an alteration in those genes, it can increase your risk um, of certain types of cancer. And they discovered that my mum had an altered BRCA2 gene, which increased her risk of breast and ovarian cancer. And there was a family history of of breast cancer and other types of cancer in her family. Um, And actually, my mum is of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage, so Eastern European Jewish heritage. And Strangely enough, there is a higher prevalence of this altered gene in that population. So her her likelihood was it was even higher of, of having this alteration. Um, I didn't get tested until 2015, until after she died. And I remember going into the meeting with the genetic counsellor and I think it was still very surreal. I think because I was younger, I didn't I still didn't fully understand the impact of that potential information she was going to share with me or that that decision or, or outcome. And she sat there and she told me that I was a BRCA2 carrier, you know, and I had the alteration and she smiled as she said it. And I, I couldn't marry up what she was saying with the fact that she was smiling. I just thought, how can you deliver that news with a smile on your face? And I know she was just, you know, it's her bedside manner almost. She was being kind. And, but that was the kind of lasting memory from that appointment was that she smiled as she told me. And 
you know, that means for me that I have up to an 80% lifetime risk of breast cancer and around a 20% lifetime risk of ovarian cancer. And so obviously I'm very conscious that the breast cancer is the bigger risk. And from the age of 30, I then started having MRI breast scans every year um, just to try and detect any early signs of cancer. Um, at the moment, there's no routine screening for ovarian cancer uh, on the NHS in the UK. But the way that that would be detected, similar to, to my mum, would be through a blood test where they'd, they'd look at the cancer markers and, and also a scan. But, you know, equipping myself with that knowledge, I actually feel in quite a powerful position. Um, I found out at a much younger age than my mum did about what might be down the road. My mum didn't have that heads up. And, you know, medicine has advanced 30 odd years since then. So the choices, the treatment, the the surgery, the reconstruction options are all better and different and more varied. But I remember when I told my dad that I did have the same alteration, I remember him just saying, I'm really sorry that my genes weren't strong enough. Oh. As a parent, he had hoped above upon, upon hope that the 50-50 chance would have swung his way and I wouldn't have inherited it. And I, I vividly remember him him apologizing to me for that as if you know as if he could have done anything about it how did that make you feel I, I I wanted to comfort him you know it wasn't his fault it was nobody's fault really it's just genetics it's just the way you're made up it can be quite random and like I said 50 50 um and he having gone through that with my mum he, he knew exactly how I might be feeling you know what I would be worried about um, and I think he wished that that wasn't repeating itself for me. So you have the alteration of this gene. You you know what your odds are in terms of the numbers. How has it changed the way you live your life? Weirdly, uh, you know, I found out when I was twenty nine, thirty, and at that point, I had, I, I didn't have children. Um, or I think I was a bit younger actually. I, I didn't have children. I was sort of early on in my marriage, you know, I was fairly carefree. And actually, I could put it into a box and put it to the back of my mind and not really think about it. I think I saw it as something that would be when I was older. And so day to day, for a long time, I didn't think about it. And then every now and again, when the letter came through inviting me for the scan, I would think, oh, yeah, that's, that's a big part of my life. What if this time it's, it's not going to be clear. Um, and I would talk to people, you know, the way that I'm talking to you quite quite calmly about it and and they would you know react quite emotionally or quite strongly and I would think my god what's wrong with me why am I not worried about this constantly but I think through going through losing my mum and the constant worry for her I have been able to compartmentalize things because I had to function you know I a lot of the time when my mum was ill I was obviously working you know I was married all those things that you have to still maintain and so I got very good at putting things in boxes in my head. Um, but since having children and being the wrong side of 35 now, I don't think I can keep putting it away in a box in my head and not being concerned and not worrying about it as much as I need to. Um, so I've, I think now I've got to that stage where I'm conscious of my own mortality. I'm conscious that my mum was 41 when she had the first sort of occurrence of anything in her breasts. And... I, want, I don't want to ever be told that I have cancer. And if I can do what I can to achieve that, I will be happy because I'll have done that for my children, my family, everybody that 
I love. You say you're the wrong side of 35. <laughs> I say that you're a youngster compared to me nudging 45. But that's a huge burden to have on your shoulders and carry around. Do you feel the weight of it some days? I, I do. And, and there are days where my anxiety ramps up. Um, you know, I, I, I cannot think about it a lot of the time, but when I do think about it, my mind can go to a very dark place. And I think you, you can go to that dark place when you've been there with, with someone else, you know, you know, the worst possible outcome. And so your mind goes to that whenever you feel a niggle or a pain or an ache. And I, I diagnose myself with all kinds of horrible things. You know, the internet is a very dangerous place when you think you've got something wrong with you. You can satisfy yourself that you tick all of those boxes and you're writing yourself off. And and it's dangerous and it's frightening. And my anxiety levels, you know, even very recently in the last few weeks have been sky high. And I've, the best thing I did was talk to my husband. He's a very rational person, but he's very caring at the same time. So he will try and, get me to see the other side of things but also he understands that to satisfy my anxiety or to to release it in some way I, I I need to talk to a doctor so I I see my GP you know they will examine me they will talk to me they will give me that reassurance and if there's anyone that that hears this that that has that same anxiety around their own body and their own health I would really recommend if you are concerned about anything talk to your doctor you know that's what they're there for you don't want to take any chances when it comes to your body. Um, you know, it's just not worth it. Um, so I feel it very strongly when I am really feeling it. And then other times I seem to be able to not think about it. Um, but I, I think for me, the, 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 the way to get peace of mind, what I need to do is, is probably have the risk reducing surgery. So the double mastectomy, and then slightly further down the line, um, the surgery they would do around the ovaries. So ovaries, fallopian tubes, um, you know, that 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 whole procedure. Um, but they typically like to do that on slightly older women uh, because it can bring on the menopause. Um, yeah. But in the in the more immediate future, I am looking very seriously at a double mastectomy. And that's a huge decision to, to make as a young woman with a young family what what plays in what plays in your mind what scenarios are going through your head when you consider that option so now that i know what the options are in terms of surgery and um you know the risk that is still there even if you have that operation I, I worry about it not working so i worry that if if i had implants you know something might go wrong with them there's another option where you can use tissue from other parts of your body to reconstruct but that tissue might not be accepted and it, you know, that would not be successful. You know, I worry about even if I'm making that big decision to have the risk reducing surgery, it still might not be successful. Um, I also worry about losing my boobs. You know, I, I recently wrote a love letter to my boobs because it was in my head and I thought I need to get this out on paper and I've, I will be very sad to say goodbye to them. Um, they are a part of my femininity. They are a part of how I nourished my children. They are just a part of me and and a part of my mum. You know, she made me. Um, and losing them will be a big trauma and a big emotional, big physical trauma. But that is far outweighed by the peace of mind that I hope it will achieve. Um, but I, I don't know what I'll 
feel like when I have the reconstruction, will I still feel like I'm myself? Um, will I still feel feminine? Um, but like I say, the, the risk and the fear that I have of my life ending prematurely is far greater. And it's great to me that you have this straightforward approach of balancing up those two sides, the, the risk of not being here long term to see your, your, your daughters versus the risk of perhaps not feeling feminine, perhaps not liking the results, the danger of surgery and all of those things. You, you're, you're doing that very practical weighing up those two sides and your, your strength and your bravery shine through in everything you're saying. You, you're, you're talking at this from a place of informed knowledge. You're walking through this with your eyes wide open. And, and it strikes me that everything you've shared today, there will be other women listening who perhaps are going through finding out if they have the altered gene. Perhaps they are dealing with a breast cancer within their family or ovarian cancer within their family. What you're sharing today is hugely inspirational. So thank you for, for opening up. Um, I have one question more that you might not want to answer. So please don't feel in any way obligated. Mm. But I'm thinking about your girls. I'm thinking about your young children. Is, is how, how do you tell them all of this? Have you thought about that and, and how you approach the subjects with them and what you tell them about what's happening? Yeah, that's something that I guess plays on my mind quite a lot. You know, the fact that I have had children when I knew I had an inherited risk and that there was a chance of passing that that risk on to them. Um, and it's more impactful that they're girls rather than boys inheriting that risk. Um, I have no regrets about having my children. Um, and I hope that in the same way that I feel empowered and informed, like you said, I hope that I can instill that in my in my daughters that if they do ha have the same inherited risk that they have choices they have options they have you know early awareness of of what what might might come and they will be supported by me by my husband by their family and friends and they will also go into this with their eyes open and and I also hope that you know, 20, 30 years down the line when they're making these same de decisions that I'm making, that treatment options, surgery, medicine will have advanced even more and maybe they won't have to make such big decisions and it won't be such a huge uh, risk or situation for them to deal with. You know, I just hope that they will be even stronger than I am when it comes. If it comes, I hope it doesn't. And it's great to me that you are now leaving a massive legacy in their lives. Every step you take is leaving them something to follow, to look up to, to aspire to be like. You are being their role model in everything you're doing. And that strikes me as hugely powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I'm asking every person that comes as a guest to let me know what their life quote is or their statement, their verse that they, they cling to. Would you share what you, you told me? Yeah, so the sort of mantra that I always try to remember when, you know, when life is busy um, is something that my mum said to me, which was, don't wish your life away. And she used to say this a lot, even before she was unwell. So it's not something that I just associate with her 
knowing that you know her life was going to be cut short um she would say don't wish your life away if i was you know looking forward to a holiday or looking forward to the weekend or willing you know work situation to be over or you know wanting time to fast forward my mum would always say don't wish your life away uh, you know and every day counts every moment counts because those are all the moments and days and weeks that lead up to those things that you're looking forward to so you won't get anywhere unless you make today count and I think we all should take the time to pause and and actually look around us rather than constantly looking forward um, because t life is precious each moment is precious so don't wish your life away and enjoy every second thank you so much i think that is a brilliant way to end don't wish your life away look around and really focus on today naomi thank you so much for sharing everything you have today i will make sure that your contact details are, are put in the show notes if anybody wants to reach out um i wonder if you would be so kind as to share that love letter to your boobs with me because i would like to put that in the show notes as well because i think that's a hugely brave and empowering thing to have written and I know that my audience would love to, to read it. There's also another ask I'm going to give you, and I'm going to say it live here on the podcast. I'd love to have you back when you have made that decision, taken that step to have the surgery, because I believe there's other women who need to know that that surgery and the trauma that comes with it and the recovery of from that surgery is, is doable. And, mm -hmm. and it would be lovely to have you back at some point in the future when you have been through all of that to give us another perspective on this? I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for being here. Ladies, gents, if you're listening, I hope you've taken some grain of inspiration from Naomi today. She is a truly brave and inspirational woman. Thank you for listening. What a powerful story. If you want more information about my guest or their story, check out the show notes. All the details are there. I would love to know what you think about this episode. Head over to Instagram at the Life Chapters Pod and tell me what you think. I really would love to know. And if you have a story to share and you want to do it here on the Life Chapters Podcast, please get in touch. My door's always open and I would love to give you the platform to share your story. Mm -hmm.